Hebrews chapter 2. And tonight I want to leave with you the verse 17. Where we read, Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. A merciful high priest. That's what we are considering tonight. Here we are first introduced to a new description of the Lord Jesus, High Priest. The expression is of frequent occurrence throughout this epistle, as you would know. I think the term High Priest occurs some 16 times. But this is its first occurrence at the end of chapter 2. While the priestly ministry of Christ is first named here. It has from the very commencement of the epistle been in the mind of the apostle. You will see there in verse 3 that he says when he had by himself purged our sins. He's giving a hint there of where he's going. The high priestly work of Christ and his sacrifice. So it's implied at the start, but now here he explicitly and clearly brings it in. A merciful and faithful high priest. Now the apostle has been slowly leading us through all the names of Jesus. Through all the names and titles that he bears. We saw him at the start as God's son. And then he reveals him to us as the heir, the heir of all things. And then he calls him the first begotten. And then he goes on to speak about him as God and Lord. Thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth. And then his name Jesus is introduced. We see Jesus. And then he is the captain of salvation, as we saw last Lord's Day, the pioneer of our salvation, the, the champion, the one who brings us in to the great salvation. And then in the next chapter, we'll see him as the apostle and as Christ Jesus. And at last he brings in that name Christ so all of these names, step by step, he's, he's bringing us through. But this title, High Priest, we have to say that that's the climax. This is where the epistle is going. This is what the epistle is largely about. Jesus, the High Priest, the great High Priest of our profession, and his great once for all sacrifice that is mainly the substance of this great homily that the apostle delivers now Paul whenever he attributes this name and title to Jesus high priest he's not attributing to him some empty meaningless thing 
It is Christ's office. It is his role and position. It's a title, not only of reality, but a title at the very heart and center of his work and why he came into the world and what his mission is all about. This is a very important title. This is a central office of Jesus Christ. Now I remind you that the psalm in the apostle's mind, his main Old Testament text, is Psalm 110. And he's working through that. And in that psalm, he has shown that Christ is Lord. He's Lord at God's right hand. He's sitting and ruling until all his enemies are made his footstool. But in that Psalm 110, he's not only Lord and King, he is priest too. Because in verse 4 it says, The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the apostle now is coming to deal with that theme. The high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The prophecy in that psalm alerts us to a problem that the Jews will raise. And that is that Jesus is not of the tribe of Levi. How could he be a high priest after the order of Aaron? How could he have any link with Aaron? Messiah comes out of Judah. Messiah belongs to the king, the kingly office. And the kingly offices and the priestly offices were not mixed. So how can Messiah be king and priest? And it is true that he's not descended from Aaron. However, Psalm 110 reminds us that his priesthood is before Aaron and superior to Aaron because he's a priest forever. He has an eternal priesthood after the order, not of Aaron, but of Melchizedek, who was king priest, king of Salem, and priest of the Most High God. That's Christ's office. King priest, a kingly priest, and a priestly king, like Melchizedek. So Christ then is not just another high priest. He is the true high priest. And by true, I, I don't compare him to false priests. I'm comparing him to the shadow Aaron is just the shadow. Aaron is just the picture. Aaron is just the prophecy that goes before. The true priest, the fulfillment, the reality, the substance is Jesus Christ. That's what it means in the Bible when we say he's the true priest. Just like he's the true vine. Just like he's the true bread. That manna wasn't the true bread that come down. Yes, it was real bread. People lived on it. But that wasn't the true bread that gives life. That was just a picture. That was just a shadow. Christ is the true bread. And he's the true priest. The Aaron office was introduced to foreshadow the true priest. The eternal priest 
who is to come. So it's Christ that is truth, not type. He's substance, not shadow. He is fulfillment. And Jews are going to have to grapple with the issue. How long can they still hold on to shadows? How long shall they continue to hold on to the Old Testament and keep that veil over their minds and not cast it away in the grace of God and begin to lay hold on the reality, on the substance, Jesus Christ, the true high priest. So they're going to have to make a choice as they have been doing for hundreds of years. Some do choose Christ, but the vast majority of them do not. And so they don't choose Christ, they reject him and they still hold on to their shadows and their blindness. But the apostle here is grasping the issue at its core. Christ or the temple. Christ or the priesthood after the order of Aaron. That time's past, pictures and types, are Messiah fulfillment. They're going to have to choose Christ are remaining with the Old Testament veil over their minds. But as for Christians, they have chosen. They consider Christ as fulfillment and as the real true high priest. And they don't have any doubts about that. They have no hesitancy concerning that. And they have their faith in him as such. And so what the Apostle goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 1, how does he put it? Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the Apostle and high priest of our profession. The profession of the Christian church. The profession of Christians who have faith in Christ. He's the high priest that we confess. He's the high priest of the profession of our religion. Jesus Christ. Not that man in the sanctuary below. But that man in the sanctuary above. The high priest of our Christian profession. And then in chapter 4 verse 14. Seeing then that we have. And he introduces a new word here. A great high priest. That's the only time it occurs. It's never referred to Aaron this, but it's applied to Christ. We have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let's not be wandering again back to the, the shadows. We look to Jesus as the high priest of our profession, and we hold fast that profession and you congregation have to do the same now as we look at our text you will see that Christ being high priest is not just an afterthought not something tagged on not something even imagined you know some people oh he's a great imagination the apostle Paul drawing from the old testament like that and and tagging that on to Jesus and, and making that an illustration of Jesus It's not an illustration of Jesus, merely. 
This isn't something imagined. Some think that because Christ is not actually called high priest in other of Paul's writings, therefore they say it's, it's not major. It's not a fundamental to teach the high priestly office of Christ because you know Paul doesn't refer to it directly. He doesn't use the term high priest of Jesus in any other place. Well, he might not use the term in the other place, but he certainly expounds the office in other places. But he does it here. He's, he's given a whole epistle to the matter. It is fundamental. It is important. It is at the heart of the gospel. And so those who say that Christ's death is at the heart and he died and all this talk of being a high priest and his death being a sacrifice, that's all added on later. That's nonsense. This being a priest and a sacrifice and the two coming together in Jesus Christ, that's the very heart of the gospel. It's not just that he died. He died as a sacrifice, offering himself as a high priest. That's at the heart of the gospel. That's fundamental. So Aaron on the Day of Atonement is not just providing, as it were, a nice little illustration that kind of fits in. No, that's, that's a prophecy. That's showing forth what is the heart of the matter. A high priest who come, who offers the once-for-all sacrifice in the sacrifice of himself. So Christ is not like a priest. He is a priest. He's high priest. He's the great high priest. And that's the heart of our profession. That's how important it is. In chapter 2 verse 17 then our text. We see that. In all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. Why? Why was he incarnate? Why was he made like unto his brethren? What does that mean? Well, it means that he took our flesh and our nature. You have it there in verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same He took flesh and blood. He had a true humanity in all things. A human nature in all its completeness and in all its complexity. Joined to his divine person, a true man. In every way, sin only accepted. In all things, it behoved him. It was necessary for him to be like his brethren because they were men. They had a human soul. They had infirmities of humanity. He took all of this and all the trials and all the temptations that humanity endures. He faced all of that in human nature and all things like unto his brethren. And it was necessary for him to be incarnate as a man to be a high priest. Incarnate to be a high priest. Not just incarnate to be a man. But to be a man. Who is high priest. That's why he was incarnate. So it's not just that he took human nature. In taking human nature. He took the priestly role. And he couldn't take the priestly role. Without taking human nature. They're inseparable in him. 
as part of his participation in our need and his representation of us as a saviour necessary to be high priest so incarnate I repeat it not only to be man incarnate to be priest for man to be priest as man and to be priest to God for man as man the being made priest is in the mind of God along with the incarnation the two are inseparable in Jesus Christ he is priest in Mary's womb he is priest in the manger he is priest in Gethsemane he is priest before Caiaphas as we read tonight he is priest on the cross he is priest in the tomb he is priest at God's right hand he is priest now he is eternal priest because he will ever be man our priest and our nature so in his humanity before the high priest in Jerusalem that we read earlier on we have a fitting picture of the reality which is in the mind of God because in that account in Matthew chapter 26 that we read and we saw there that Jesus the high priest is before Caiaphas the high priest here's a high priest before a high priest here's the substance the reality, the true high priest before the picture, before the shadow, before the prophecy. The two of them meet in that solemn moment in the Sanhedrin where all the elders, all the chief priests of Israel are gathered in this solemn body. The true before the shadow. It's a powerful picture. And Israel's high priest of the house of Levi, he is rejecting Christ, he is blaspheming Christ, he is condemning Christ. You have it there in verse 57 of Matthew 26. They laid hold of Jesus, they led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest. He comes before Caiaphas, and we read there in verse 62, the high priest arose, he stood both are standing now, facing each other. And these two men standing prominent, one before the other. The shadow in the position of condemning. And the true in the position of being condemned. And the shadow talks to Jesus and says, Do you not answer your accusers? Do you not see and hear what it is that they witness against thee? Jesus held his peace. The high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus saith unto him, and there are many Old Testament scriptures in his mind here as he answers the high priest. Thou hast said, nevertheless I say unto you hereafter, Shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven? The true has spoken for the first time. 
And then the high priest, notice it, he rent his garments. He sundered his priestly regalia. He tore it. And there was rent from him the picture. And Jesus, the substance, comes now into position for the great sacrifice and the day of atonement. It's symbolic of the rending of the Old Testament priesthood. He rends his garments, but he has offered no sacrifice. He has offered no offering. And Christ there still stands, enrobed with his humanity before the shadow. And he has not yet rent himself in sacrifice. And he doesn't rend his clothes. The true high priest rends himself. He rends himself. And so when Jesus goes to the cross, he offers up the true offering, the rending of himself unto God as the true high priest. The shadow can't do it. He has to rend the clothes alone. You know, Jesus' clothes weren't rent. Uh, The Holy Spirit is very careful to tell us that. They divided the clothes among themselves And the vesture, they they wouldn't rend it, they wouldn't tear it. There were no tears to Jesus' garments. His, His clothes weren't rent. His human nature was. He rent himself. His flesh. In a sacrifice. You see, Christ in human nature is the high priest. And on the cross he offers himself. He gives himself to God. The once for all offering. The true high priest rends his humanity. So what I'm saying is. Christ's humanity. Is his priestly robe. His priestly garment. Is his humanity. He's the true priest. That's why the veil of the temple was rent in two as well. God also is signifying the, the true rending has taken place. The rending of the flesh of Jesus Christ. As the apostle later goes on to say in the epistle to the Hebrews. That's the true work. That's the real work. And so this verse teaches us not only that Christ became a man to be a high priest. He came to be a man to be the high priest. For sinners. You see it's not just about being a priest. It's about being a priest for his brethren. For sinners. That's why he became a man and not an angel. He's not the priest for angels. But he's a priest for men. For his brethren. Because his brethren were sinners. Men were sinners. and He wanted to reconcile sinners to God. And he became a man priest to do that. So he became the priest to make reconciliation for them, as the text says. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Now there are two things about this priesthood for sinners. There is oneness, that's union with his brethren. A union of brotherhood. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified, verse 11, 
are all of one. A, a union of nature, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself took part of the same. There's a solidarity with us as a priest. But there's not only union, oneness with us, there's also representation and substitution. Priest on our behalf, priest to mediate, priest to be the advocate, priest to intercede. In other words, he's our priest. And he does the priestly function. He mediates, he intercedes, he, he does it all for men. He doesn't just become a priest just for the sake of being a priest. He become a priest to save us and to bring us to God and to truly represent us and to reconcile us to him and to plead for us, to be our substitute. Now the apostle identifies two characteristics about the priest, merciful and faithful. Now as to sinners, he's merciful and as to God and to the work that he does on, and for us, he's faithful. Chiefly what I want you to go home with tonight is this first characteristic of the high priest that the apostle introduced us to. The one who is in union with us, who has solidarity with us, who represents us. What is it that the apostle wants us to know chiefly about him? He's a merciful high priest. He has compassion. That's the very first thing Paul wants to get clear in our minds. We need to know this congregation because the devil's going to tell us different. And our own conscience, when it rises up to condemn us, it's going to tell us different. But that we must listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in the Word when the Holy Spirit says he's a merciful high priest. He has a compassion for sinners. You know, that's what Luther failed to learn for so long. When he was a child in Erfurt, he used to go in and look at the images, the stained glass windows and the pictures. And there was one that terrified him every time he went in. It was a picture of Christ the judge with the sword coming out of his mouth, looking fierce and wrathful against sinners. And he had this view of Christ as a judge and as angry and as fearsome and as unapproachable unto. And he couldn't get this out of his mind. And the church taught that you needed works to please Christ. Or you needed his mother to come before him and soften him. Or the saints who feel like you who are now in glory that they may pray and intercede to him and before him to placate him, to soften him, to make him to be of tender mercy. And so he thought Mary or other priests or something or someone between him and Jesus. Something to soften Jesus. But then he discovered the true gospel. And he says, true faith does not consider him angry or an enemy. As the flesh, the world, and the devil strongly suggest, faith rises above all this and sees God's fatherly heart. And so Luther came to see that Jesus 
does not need to be made compassionate by Mary or by works or by the priests or by the saints' prayers. No, he is compassionate in himself. He is approachable. He is all we need. He's the priest of God that we need. He is the priest who has perfect solidarity with us, who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, who knows what it's like to be a man. He is a priest with all the compassion that we require in a Redeemer, in Himself and by Himself, and without intercession from any other whatsoever. He Himself is merciful. Merciful High Priest. We don't need anyone else in solidarity. This is the heir of Rome. We need Mary, his mother, in solidarity with us. We need the saints in glory who have gone through the fires, as we do, to be in solidarity with us. No, we don't. We have a perfect Savior who is always in solidarity with us. Our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And he's merciful. And we don't need anyone else. And he's our priest in representation. The great high priest representing us before God. We don't need anyone else. Why do we need Mary to represent us? Why do we need the saints to represent us? Why dare we look to anyone else to represent us? He is all in himself equipped to represent us. Perfectly. We don't need anyone else. He has compassion for us sinners in himself. And he is utterly approachable. You know, this same word the Lord used in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And he wants his people to have the same characteristic. And we endeavor that, but we're very failing in that. But Jesus Christ is perfect in compassion. His mercies fail not. And he has power to exercise all that his will declares arising out of his compassion. And so Jesus Christ is a compassionate high priest. That, that's what I want you to go home with. And when conscience arises, when devil comes and smites you with the remembrance of your sins and tells you you're such a great sinner, and what hope is there for you? He is a merciful high priest. Don't forget it in the battle. Don't forget it in the warfare against the world, the flesh, And the devil, he had compassion on the sinners in his day. That's why the hungry were fed. That's why the lepers were cleansed. That's why the blind were made to see. That's why the lost were found. That's why the sheep were restored. That's why the outcasts were comforted and sinners forgiven. Indeed, that's why he went to the cross. And that's how he went to the cross. As a merciful high priest. Representing us in mercy and participating in our humanity with compassion and bearing all our sins and that compassion not being in the least 
diminished. And it's all for poor sinners. And that's why he intercedes in heaven. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. We can come boldly that we may obtain this mercy and this grace through our compassionate high priest. What does the Bible say? Who can have compassion on the ignorant? Hebrews 5 verse 1. Now let me ask you this in closing. Why would you add to Christ? Why would you endeavor to placate him? There is nothing you can add. There is nothing you can do. You can only come in faith. As a humble sinner and as a humble penitent. To him alone. To him and to no other. Adding no one to him. Adding nothing to him. But he in all himself is complete. His mercy is the highest and the best and the most genuine. And his office is the only saving office. And his death is the only remedy for sin. And his intercession is the only intercession that is almighty and all prevailing in heaven. Christ and Christ alone. Not Christ and Mary. Not Christ and the saints. But Christ. And Christ alone. Merciful high priest. And there's none other. Trust him then. And rest on him. Alone.